there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio, Wolfgang Klein, your host. I had to give you that crazy train. Uh, I just had to. I, I owe it to the audience. Uh, why? Because it's been a crazy, crazy week on the stock markets internationally. And, well, this is when you need us most, and this is when we need Jack most, and he's in the studio to help us for the cause. Uh, equally important, we got a direct call into Wall Street, our favorite strategist, uh, market strategist, Tony Dwyer, uh, frequent guest on Hi-Fi Radio. Tony, uh, please hold our hand. Uh, boy, the Dow falling 800 points in one session this week. The Nasdaq's worst October performance in decades. Uh, and I will say, uh, as far as my portfolios go, this October has been the worst October in the last 10 years I've experienced. Uh, I'm getting some calls. Usually a good sign. Um, but I want to find out from you, Tony. Uh, you're on Wall Street. You're speaking to hedge funds. You're speaking to uh, pension funds, institutional money managers. I'm going to say you're speaking to the smart money you probably scratch your head every now and then when you speak to someone that's smart money, but uh, <laughs> that's what you do. So please, give us the lay of the land. I want you to run with this. You're on the conference call this morning, you spoke very, very fluently, as you always do. And Jack said, we want to have that same message uh, shared with uh, the Hi-Fi audience right here, right now. Well, thanks, guys, for having me on again. So I think it's really important, Wolfie, when you say things like, you know, it's the worst October in decades, or, you know, for you and your portfolio has been the worst. A lot of that it's the worst is because you had an extraordinary run in the summertime, which is usually a uh, uh, seasonally weak period. I think we have to put the decline in the context, very similar to if you remember, uh, you know, to quote Yogi Berra, it's deja vu all over again. If you remember the February decline, it was built off of excessive optimism. And, and during that period, we were calling for a correction just like we have been for the last month. You had a period of excessive optimism, historical overbought situation in the market because you had a, a big run-up in the seasonally weak period, and you had very historically low volatility. So w with all those factors in place, it's interesting that we're blaming Fed policy, we're blaming 10-year interest rates, we're blaming a Trump statement on tariffs. I heard, I heard the hurricane. One of, one of the strategies I read yesterday said it was the hurricanes that caused the sell-off. I say nonsense. You know, God bless them. It, you know, <laughs> I would love to think that this is a fundamental shift, and it, it's not. The, the reason that the market declined in February also was because of higher interest rates. If you remember, the rates had gone through three and three percent for the first time, um, and you got, and then you had, of course, you had a seven and a half percent run up in three weeks. You just had. Sometimes the market isn't telling you anything other than you've got to remove some of the excesses, or when it gets too oversold, you gotta you gotta remove some of the pessimism. Indeed. Well, you know, it's funny. Jack shared a good quote with me last week, and it was our business uh, of managing money uh, is the intersection between economics and psychology. So I think if I understand you correctly, the economics, from, and I've seen the data, uh, is very, very strong. The psychology is fear and greed. Uh, and selling obviously begetted some selling this week. Uh, so I guess the important question to you, Tony, is are we nearing a bottom or do we have further to fall? 
uh, and you know, you know, by when it snows, boy, I'm praying for some snow, my good friend. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, Wolfie, I'm the worst trader, but I'm pretty good at through indicators identifying intermediate term lows. Meaning, it, it could get a little bit worse here. When you're in a kind of high volatility mode like we've been in for the last week, it's it's tough to say, okay, this is the exact point you buy it. What I can tell you is that when the market gets, uh, again, this oversold and you get kind of a washout day where 90% of the volume was down yesterday, when you get those kind of days, those aren't times to feed into, uh, meaning sell into, as long as you have that positive fundamental backdrop. And, and we certainly have that. So with, um, you know, only about 15% of stocks trading above their 10-day moving average, that's kind of a sign of, historically of a washout. When you have um, the VIX above 20, the CBO volatility index VIX above 20, that typically is a sign of a little bit of a pessimistic washout. And you're going to have some volatility over the next, you know, week or two for sure. But it doesn't mean that you're going to have a lot of downside. Anything, my indicators suggest that what you lose from here, you make up pretty quickly on an oversold bounce. Again, as long as the fundamental backdrop is positive, which it is, and we're going to be hearing from a lot of companies over the course of the next uh, few weeks in the earnings season, they're going to show 25% growth for the S&P 500. Indeed, yeah. So the leaders this year so far, uh, Tony, have been the NASDAQ, the technology trade. Uh, there's talk of shift from growth to value. Um, tech has been hit very hard in this recent sell-off. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Jack, it's such a great point. I want everybody to go back and look at February. The same people said the same things, that tech was dead, that you were going to get increased regulatory environment. You know, outside of Facebook, which is having its own issues, tech is kind of correcting like it has in the past. It just happens in October, so it's getting, a lot of, it's getting a lot of notoriety. Even the semiconductor stocks are just having a decline like they have in the last year. So I don't think there's anything extraordinary that's different about tech or value. I think there's just a correction in the marketplace, which makes everybody think something's different. You know, it's incredible because, uh, Tony, I do a weekly radio, uh, sorry, I do daily radio commentary. Uh, and just a week ago, or a week and a half ago, boy, uh, uh, recency, that, that recency, was making, re- that was making new highs think, every single yeah. day. New high, new high, new high. Uh, here we are with, with, with heightened volatility uh, just around the corner. But uh, like I said, we are in the seasonal period of strength. Earnings are just around the corner. Uh, I do think the economic backdrop is very, very sound. Watching your buddy Jim Cramer on CNBC last night, uh, he said, stop the selling. You don't sell down here. You have to start starting to start a buying campaign, and I agree. Slow move, uh, I think, um, with caution. Uh, but this is not the time to be taking money out of the uh, equation, I believe. So, Tony, I want to really thank you for your time on the show. I know you got a busy, busy day ahead of you. Uh, so I want to thank you and uh, wish you a great success on Wall Street. Anytime for my pals at Hi-Fi Radio. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Uh, coming up next, we got Wilmont George Jr. Uh, he's Vice President, Tax, Retirement, and Estate Planning at CI Investments. So we were talking market noise on the one side. Now we're going to talk about having a plan and... Uh, why you don't need to necessarily worry about the market noise on a day-to-day basis if you have a sound plan. So Wilmot George Jr., Vice President of CI Investments, will be right back on Hi-Fi Radio. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yes, indeed. Well, it's all about having a plan, because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So on Hi-Fi Radio, we're here to talk about money, taxes, planning, 
um, success and living your dreams uh, well beyond your expectations and leaving something behind. Uh, maybe giving some money to charity. By the way, did I say the word charity? Yes. Well, it's a nice day out. It's been a decent week, um, but the weather shall turn and it shall get cold. And people in Toronto will still have to sleep on the streets, especially youth live sleeping on the streets. It's uh, unfathomable to see it. And I'm trying to do my part to help the cause. So I will be sleeping on the streets with those kids on November 15th in support of Covenant House. Uh, I kindly ask listeners to support the cause. Give anything. The more you give, the more you get back. Not just in humanitarian, but also from a tax point of view. Uh, and taxes have gone up, and so the benefit back from the government has never been greater. Uh, please go to the Covenant web- website, uh, Executive Sleepout. Uh, it's the one in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, the host of Hi-Fi Radio, uh, along with Paul Coffey, by the way. And we're trying to get Paul Coffey on Hi-Fi Radio. Jack is so excited. Uh, Jack, are you, by the way, going to Peterborough uh, you, you, you were wondering who he was, which is the, okay, the, the, the easy, funny like, part. Okay, easy. <laughs> 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 we're not going to talk about that, Jack. We stop it. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, going back to Peterborough. This weekend, looking, now he's not going to come on the show. The now he won't even come on the show. <laughs> well, uh, not, I apologize. I know who Wayne is. Well, yeah. Okay, so you know, something. Hall of Famer. Two of them. So there you go. <laughs> You're killing me. Oh, I'm embarrassed. I'm probably blushing. I can do that on radio. Uh, anyway, we got Wilmot George. Uh, he's a vice president with CI Investments. Um, Wilmont would be a partner of ours uh, in that uh, he, he gets involved in, in high-level uh, tax and estate planning, um, and he, he helps uh, individuals like myself help our clients. So uh, I'm a portfolio manager and uh, investment advisor, and I can lean on some big, big uh, brains uh, free of charge because it's, it's a partnership that we have with CI Investments. And so, Wilmont, uh, tell me something in this day and age of, of, of high taxes and uh, less less loopholes out there uh what are you able to bring to the party uh in the year of 2018 on a go forward basis when it comes to estate planning and tax minimization well you know what there there are two certainties in life right there's death and there's taxes and uh and those those certainties aren't aren't going away they've been here for a long time they will continue to be here um so so long as you have death and you have taxes there's always an opportunity to plan can you help us with the death part <laughs> Well, I mean, we do the best that we can. Unfortunately, death is uh, is a reality. But what we can help you to do is save some tax at death. Uh, we quite often talk about death and taxes, and a lot of people don't realize that there is a tax at death. In fact, there could be multiple taxes at death. Uh, there's income tax payable at death in a lot of cases, and there might be probate tax payable at death as well. So what we can do is, unfortunately, we can't help you with uh, uh, the, the passing away part of it. Uh, everybody's day will come. Uh, but what we can do is we can encourage encourage you to put a plan in place to minimize tax payable at the time of death. That, that, that plan is so important too because people are living longer now. You talk about back in the day, retirement was for five, 10 years. Now you've got people in retirement for 30 years. So to be able to plan for that and be able to you know, forecast and look forward, make sure you don't outlive your money and make sure that when you pass away that you know uh, you don't pay more tax than you really necessarily have to. I think it's so important. It's a big value add that you know Wilmont uh, adds to clients and everyone talks about mutual funds and fees and all that. And it is important, but actually what, what do you get for those fees? And Wilmont is uh, certainly a big value add there. Yeah, and Jack, you raise a good point, right? Like, I mean, people are living longer, and uh, and and it's a tricky thing because it's it's good to live longer. Uh, most people will say that, uh, but with living longer means we need our money to last a lot longer. So we're in a period now where people are retiring, um, and they want to be be careful about preservation of their assets to make sure that it lasts a long long time. Uh, but at the same time, we want to make sure that uh, there is some growth in your retirement years as well because we need to ensure that this money 
money does indeed last and 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 simply drawing an income and and not seeking some growth in in longer retirement periods um, might not be helpful to you in the long term so work with a broker work with an investment advisor to to achieve multiple objectives in retirement and also at the time of death let's talk about the tax element of it because you can't help us with the life or death part yeah. um, so in terms of tax uh, what what strategies are are making most sense today. Ah, okay. So one thing that that we talk about uh, quite often uh, is we talk about not being afraid uh, to take some income in retirement years um, a little bit more than you might ordinarily take. I mean, we often talk about RIFs and everybody knows you got to take the minimum amount from your RIF uh, in retirement. But sometimes we promote taking a little bit more than the minimum amount because, you know, if you're not subject to tax at high tax rates throughout your retirement years, we've got this progressive tax system, the more money you make, the more tax you pay. Um, If you're subject to tax at lower tax brackets, lower tax rates, you could take on a little bit more income in your retirement years. Now, why might one want to do that? Well, you might want to do that because when you die, there's a deemed disposition of death. You're deemed to have sold your assets at death. And and what we've seen in a lot of cases is we've seen uh, clients defer tax throughout their lifetime. And then because of this deemed disposition that takes place at the time of death, a large portion of wealth ends up being subject to tax at the top tax rate. That's 50 four percent uh, here in Ontario um, so so work with your your, your brokers to determine uh, you know how much income is suitable income in your retirement years it can help you to save some tax at the time of death yeah that, that, that's a funny thing because I actually uh, did that strategy with my mother um, you know it's funny because I think there's a lot of misnomers about an RSP and it's still incredible when you look at the statistics as to how many Canadians don't have an RSP and if you can't afford to fund an RSP, that's one thing. But if you mm. can't afford to fund an RSP and don't have a legitimate reason why you aren't, I scratch my head. I say this, um, William, for a couple of reasons, or Wilmont, excuse me, Wilmont George Jr. of CI Investments, by the way, <laughs> Vice President, Tax Retirement and Estate Planning. Uh, yes, Wilmont. Um, I, I say that because uh, there's a misnomer about RSPs, i.e. you're going to be taxed when you take the money out, so why bother? But the, the strategy you're referring to is, while you're working, you should probably be in a higher tax bracket than when you retire. Top tax bracket in Canada with surtax uh, is upwards of 55%. So putting in uh, $10,000 into an RSP or call it 20000 let's say right. ten for the math easy, you're yeah. going to get yourself $5,500 back. Right. Um, and then when you take the money out, and hopefully in a lower tax bracket, you're going to pay less money in taxes. So you'll pay three versus 5500 uh, So the tax benefit there. But with my mother, if you see someone nearing death, no one knows when anyone's going to die. But we do we can get a sense intuition right uh you know when, when a loved one is starting to deteriorate and if they have you know north of five hundred thousand dollars in a in a riff and we guess that they have between two and five years right. that should be drawn down in advance of uh so they can take advantage of a lower tax bracket today than a higher tax bracket when that 500 grand becomes all income yeah, I mean, it's a good idea to do that. And, and and we often suggest that strategy. Now, of course, there there are other factors at play as well, because uh, sometimes there's, you know, there's a couple and, and maybe one spouse is a lot younger than the other spouse. And, and when you die, there are rollover opportunities to a spouse or common law partner, which can allow for some ongoing tax deferral. So there are some situations where uh, a particular household, for, for a particular household, it makes sense to continue that tax deferral, depending on the ages of the, of the couple. But, you know, if, if if you have a, a situation where tax is inevitable at the time of death, and that's coming up in the, in the near future or next few years, um, then like you said, it might be a good idea to take on a little bit more uh, income, pay a little bit more tax at lower tax brackets to avoid taxation at top tax rates at death. Yeah, well, Jack's just sliding me a note here. And again, everyone's situation is different. 
hence everyone should speak to a, a, a professional uh, advisor uh, and you handed me a disclaimer so I'm going to read it my god is this is like a medical disclaimer here uh, <laughs> but don't don't worry <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're covered <laughs> okay so the, the opinions and information provided in this discussion are solely those of the speaker I, that's, that's you Wilma that's me and, and not, <laughs> so you're fully liable and are not to be used or construed or legal or taxation advice provided by CI investments yeah, yeah. and I, I think the so, point I think the point <laughs> of that there is uh, everybody's circumstances are different uh, and one strategy that works really well for one particular family or client might not work well for your neighbor. So so it's a good thing to 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 work with your investment advisor, work with your accountants, work with your lawyers and anything any strategy that you hear, you hear about us talking about this stuff on the radio, maybe you do your own research on the internet, maybe you're watching something on TV, uh, and we encourage you to listen to that information and educate yourself, but before you implement anything, talk to your professional advisors to make sure that those strategies work well for you. I agree. Uh, Wilmont George Jr. from CI Investments, an absolute pleasure having you in the studio. It's good to meet you in person. Uh, again, the CI team is a good team, and uh, we appreciate your support here on Hi-Fi Radio. Okay. Well, coming up next, we got a very, very cool uh, new solution for payment. Uh, so we are going to get to that with a company called Payfair right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Nice cash register, eh? Well, our next guest is Chris Seip. He is the CEO of a very cool Canadian private company called Payfair that uh, is hoping to go public in the near term. So this is very early stages stuff, folks, and uh, I think it's real. And as such, uh, well, they made the guest list for Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, Chris Seip, uh, prior to our interview here, we had a little uh, in-studio discussion here. Uh, so you are servicing the giga economy, and you're basically able to... Um, offer the giga employees same day payment for services rendered. In fact, you said you can pay up to five times a day to an employee who's scooting Jack and I back and forth to the Hi-Fi Radio studios. That is quite fascinating. So tell us a little bit about your company, Payfair, please. I'm very, very intrigued by what you do, what you offer, because uh, it's very, very tech-centric. Yeah, uh, th thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so my name is Chris Seip. I'm the chairman and CEO of Payfair, Inc. Um, Payfair is a fintech company. It was founded in 2014, providing mobile banking to serve the unique needs of the gig economy and the on-demand workforce. And as you just mentioned, we provide an opportunity for workers in the gig economy to get paid as they're earning. Hey, do you want to, by the way, because it's a buzzword that Jack and I have thrown around the studio a little bit, but we're still actually learning the word ourselves. Well, what is the gig economy? On-demand workforce. So an example would be? Uh, ride sharing. So uh, a driver that happens to be working with Uber, who we have a strong working relationship in Canada. It could be someone that's delivering uh, packages to your front door through online retailing. It could be in the same way, um, someone that's um, that happens to be a client of a payroll provider. Um, so it's, it's contract workers mm -hmm. that um, have proliferated globally. And, you know, and those, those, those employees or those contractors or those workers um, have basic needs that they have to take care of, food, shelter, safety, and they need to do that in real time. What we're providing is through um, an, instant, uh, an instant payment mechanism through a mobile wallet, an ability for them to get paid as they're earning, as they're driving, as they're working. Mm -hmm. it, it's really, as you say, it's a decentralized economy that we keep hearing about, and it's growing exponentially, um, and it's really disrupting um, 
the traditional economy, you look at Uber versus taxi cabs, right? So, right, right. Uh, the taxi cab driver typically gets paid by his employer. Now you're be able, being able to facilitate that. Now, how do you do that? Is it done through the blockchain? Is it done through uh, other technology? So, so how we do it is um, there's a strong relationship that we have with, uh, with MasterCard um, globally, and that allows us to use that as a payment mechanism so that while, you're have, while a driver, in the instance of Uber, is looking for payment, and as you know, Wolfgang had mentioned that we pay up to five times a day for a small um, user fee, which we can get into in a second. Mm -hmm. um, once there's a request for payment of, say, a $30 drive, we load that payment to a card, um, a MasterCard, um, and also to their mobile wallet. So they have a physical card and they have their mobile wallet. Mm -hmm. Then through that, they're able to do cash advances, make bill payments, um, you know, e-transfers, and also do payments and purchasing at point of sale. So it could be buying groceries, it could be buying gas. And one of the cool things as well is while there's a, a 50 cent user fee to the, um, to the driver in the Uber instance, um, it's a small fee in terms of what they're actually getting in return because we give fuel discounts, there'll be um, roadside assistance. And if you actually look at the value that's given to the, the driver or the worker, it's dwarfs what their user fee. So on the other side of it, is that, is that a per transaction fee, fifty cents per transaction? It's per transaction. But if the driver makes less than twenty dollars that day, we waive the fee in totality. Right. Um, so it it's about driving financial inclusion. Um, you've seen that the costs of living have continued to outstrip incomes, and then you've got protracted, you know, um, payroll. The payroll um, periods where you've got somebody that's got to pay for their rent or they've got to pay for their groceries or they've got to pay for their gas and they can't wait two weeks. And so in the past, what they've been doing um, is relying on payday loans um, that could be 300%, 500%. Um, with technology there's and the ability to disrupt the old order, there's no reason for you know um, contract workers or employees in the gig economy to have to rely on payday loans or rely on credit to get them through the next payday. Yeah, the, the 50 cent fee sounds a, a lot more reasonable than what you get at a payday loan right. where you said like it's uh, it's astronomical uh, the amount that people actually pay yeah, just just to get their percent. just to get their own money. Their own money. Yeah, it's a couple percent for what a two for a two week loan. Uh, you annualize that. Uh, what, what's the math on that, Jack? 26 times 2, it's a 55%. It's a 55% loan rate. Yeah. And, and people don't realize that and they still go and pay they go to payday loan uh, centers pay those fees and like you said uh, uh, they're the uneducated and I think they're getting preyed upon so the, the financial uh, inclusion uh, the term that you use there I think is very important because so, these you know people that have less means less resources are getting preyed upon by payday loan companies so, so if I'm a giga employee and I and I earn a thousand dollars and I say I don't want to wait a week to get my grand I can then run it through payfair and then my only cost would be 50 cents for the thousand dollars correct that's very cheap. Right. right. So, so you have a user fee there. If if there was foreign exchange transactions in certain instances, that you know, if it was a, in another sure, not Canada, yeah. but but yeah, there's the user fee of fifty cents on that draw. And uh, how does Payfair um, make its money? It's through that that user fee. But um, we have interchange through the the uh, credit card relationship as well, and uh, and through our loyalty programs as well. Uh, we have Chris Seip in studio. He's the CEO of a company called Payfair. It's a Canadian private company looking to go public. Uh, it's involved in the gig economy. They use blockchain. They're talking about cryptocurrency and why this is better. Uh, but with the changing landscape of the economy, with more people working multiple jobs and uh, now gigging, perhaps they're gigging it to try to create a new career in, uh, in film or in music, and they want to get paid 
for their latest contract or their little bit of work that they did. Well, uh, Payfair seems to solve that problem, but we want to learn more about this company. So I'm uh, going to pay some bills around here and get Chris Seip, the CEO of Payfair, right back on air right after this. Money. Listen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Well, thank you for listening. Hi-Fi Radio, Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, co-host. Um, got a very, very cool company in studio here, a company called Paycom. It's a Canadian uh, newer company, uh, launched in 2014. Here we are in 2018, and, well, they're hoping to go public soon. Uh, Chris Seip, the CEO, is in studio. Uh, a word that uh, Jack and I uh, uh, chew on often in the studio is a word called blockchain. And, uh, you know, Jack and I are getting a good handle on that word, blockchain. Um, but I'm finding that you know most people still don't know what the word means, uh, Chris. So again, just to remind to the audience, the word blockchain basically is a computer-managed ledger, uh, permanent ledger. It's a, a ledger of transactions. It can be the movement of goods. It can be for your health records. It can be financial for financial transactions. Of course, cryptocurrency and blockchain were connected at the hip, and that's why we're all becoming familiar with blockchain. But I'm not sure about cryptocurrencies. I, I think they have a place. I think the place is perhaps further down into the future, but blockchain is here to stay. And that actually excites me because I, I like speaking to companies that are embracing blockchain. IBM, of course, Big Blue, it can embrace blockchain. But to see the little guy start to look to blockchain to, to manage their books, so to speak, uh, is very, very fascinating. So please explain to us how is Paycom, or excuse me, Payfair, uh, using blockchain uh, to pay all the giga employees? Yeah, I, th I think the way I would look at um, Payfair is... It's a scalable platform that allows for instant pay as you have with instant earnings. Mm -hmm. And blockchain as a reconciliation tool is is a driver for financial disruption so you can kind of bridge the gap, right? And so reconciliation when you're in the instant pay space is important because you wanna be able to effectively um, have accurate time and attendance of the hours that or miles that an, a worker has completed. And then through that, you can provide the right advances on earnings, and then you can also provide um, the right um, data to lenders. So you've got drivers that have earned money that want to get paid at the right time, and you've got lenders that want to make sure that they have a good line of sight in terms of the, the earnings data. What blockchain and reconciliation tools do is allows us to do that effectively and, and bridge the gap that would have um, you know, been you know, kind of gated by the large financial institutions. And so to your point is financial disruption um, through blockchain and through um, fintech technology can allow us to really drive financial inclusion. And what does that really mean? It means allowing people to receive payment when they earn it, when they want it, and not to be relying on um, high credit card um, charges, to rely on payday loans, and to be beholden to um, stretched um payroll cycles, like waiting two weeks to get your payment when you may have to buy groceries or pay bills on a weekly basis. Well, you know, I tell you, your, your technology uh, lends itself beautifully to a flat economy, to a flat society that we now live in. The world is now flat. Uh, mobility of ideas is, is, is very, very immediate. Um, with the gig economy, um, we're now working overseas, I working from home, but uh, perhaps picking up a client in America, picking up a client in Asia. Uh, I could see your service lending itself beautifully to that, not have to worry about 
uh, uh, transaction. Uh, you, you manage the currency aspect of it. But most importantly, it's that word trust. Um, who do you trust to, to, to handle your money mm -hmm. uh, on both large and small transactions? So you see MasterCard is now a partner of yours? That's correct. So, so in, in what capacity is MasterCard a partner of Payfair? So MasterCard, when we, when we are actually uh, providing workers with same-day payment, we are loading those earnings onto a MasterCard and onto our application, So when, um, which is an, a mobile wallet. Um, but that MasterCard is the physical card that someone would carry in their in their purse or in their wallet and the, they could use with vendors. Um, online, um, you know, we've got a mobile wallet that allows for e-transfers and, and bill payments, et cetera. But the relationship with MasterCard is, uh, is pretty, pretty special to us. And as is the relationship with the employers or those pooled workers in Canada, we've got a strong relationship with Uber. But to your point, um, there's meaningful user growth over the coming year in multiple uh, geographies. And flat doesn't just relate to new Canadians, it relates to anybody that's trying to set goals. And so that could be a teacher that's maybe driving to Aurora um, that may take a ride um, and not using Uber, they're the driver in Uber. Yeah. Right. So that's the thing that people are forgetting that you've you've had uh, a middle class that's largely been um, um, eradicated, and you've got gaps between rich and poor. And so what we're trying to do is to allow to drive financial inclusion. And what you would think is the person that was using payday loans in the past or wants instant pay today, it's not that when people look in the mirror and saying, "I want to get paid today." It's not the same person that was asking to get paid 30 years ago. It's lion's share of the economy that has goals and bills that they need to be able to meet. You know, it's amazing because as Jack and I walked to the studio today, we had a little discussion about Toronto and how Toronto, I spoke with Kathleen, my wife, about this just a couple other days. Downtown Toronto, uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago, King Street, Queen Street, College Street, it was um, uh, housed by working class people who would work at the Goodyear plant, they would work at Misty Christie's, they'd work at the candy factory. Working class people would live in Toronto, they would own a house in Toronto, they'd have a few children, um, and they, yeah, they could wait for their paycheck, and they got their regular paycheck, and they walked down to the bank, deposited it, and paid for a house in 20 years, and called it a day. Boy, has the world changed. Uh, you know, how we have to stand on our own two feet from an employment point of view and from a, from a money management point of view. So Jack and I are in the business of helping people with their retirement, with managing taxes. Uh, you're here helping people with their day-to-day -day generating cash flow and having that cash flow very, very immediate. But uh, tell me something before, before we end. I want to ask you one question. There's a company called Paycom. I accidentally dropped that name instead of Payfair. Uh, I mentioned Paycom because I see it on the ticker. I don't know anything about the company. Uh, I assume you may know something about Paycom. But are they, is there competition in your space is my question. Because PayPal obviously is not competing. You're competing with a company like PayPal. Uh, yeah, there, there, there is competitors globally. We're unique in Canada, and, we're, and, and our technology um, is um, very attractive to employers globally that are looking to improve retention for their employee base because we've got automatic integration, we've got detailed reconciliation, and we do provide financing when um, that's a desire for an employer to provide to their workers. Um, in other instances, there may be an employer pool that's actually they're providing the financing and they're prepaying mm -hmm. um, to us and to our wallet that we provide to the worker. Um, there are other competitors in, in the payroll space that, well, you know, companies, a company like Square and others and other jurisdictions that are looking to get into this market. But Sorry, is Square in the, same, is in the payment space? Uh, uh, Square is, is in the payment space at, you know, at uh, point of sale. Um, they have um, demonstrated some intention to get in the payroll space as well. Um, you know the what about the, Shopify? Are, are you partnering with them at all? You say, is, no, is it, Shopify is not a uh, not a, a, a partnership of ours, uh -huh. um, and not in this space. But Instant Pay 
and instant payroll for us is pretty unique and we're well positioned to capitalize on the opportunities. You know, what we have to make sure that we're doing as a company is that we're measured in terms of the the types of um, workers that we're focused on. They've got to be pooled. They've got to be, uh, you know, um, where we can have the right time and attendance so that we can marry the desires for the lender and the desires of the worker so that they we can have a positive experience for everyone. This is an ops and technology company that's focused on instant pay. And what you do in instant pay is you make sure that you do one thing really well. You make sure you pay them and you pay them consistently and that the app works and stable and that they can do the things that they need to do, which is receive payment on their card so they can pay for basic needs. You know, uh, fintech is a great buzzword as well, blockchain, fintech, crypto, but fintech is financial technology and it's to be disruptive. And, and that's exactly what I see Payfair as being. Chris Seip, the CEO of Payfair, a real pleasure. Eye opener, keep an eye on the company. Uh, hopefully, well, it hits one of the big, hits the big board at some point. And I'm talking about the New York Stock Exchange, my good friend. Uh, but we shall walk before we run, I guess. Eh? Uh, Chris Seip, a real pleasure having you in studio. Uh, coming up next, we're gonna speak to one of our analysts about the music industry. And guess what? Music sales are at an all time Hi, you know why? Jack just bought himself a turntable. Not. Get right back to Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Okay, Jack picked that one. It's, it's, it's actually, did you pick that one? You did pick that one. So it's Video Kill the Radio Star, right, Jack? That's right, yeah. Yeah, Video Kill the Radio Star. Uh, you know, I'll tell you something. I used to work in radio, and uh, record companies needed radio to launch records, plain and simple. Radio broke records. Um, that industry has changed because plastic is no longer sold. The world is streaming. Uh, got a report on my desk called The Stream Goes On. Uh, I went through the report. It's brilliant. And guess what? It was written by Can Accords analyst Maria Rips. Um, so she's online with us, uh, along with uh, her partner, Michael Graham. Uh, Maria Rips, Michael Graham, analyst at Canaccord, thank you for joining Hi-Fi Radio. All right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, um, Maria, um, so subscription, uh, is subscription for streaming is, is, is peaking. Is, is at an all-time high. What, 46 million, uh, is it Americans who are now streaming? 46 million Americans streaming music? Uh, yes, uh, that's uh, that's the U.S. number. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry. Forty-six million U.S. subscribers. That's correct. Right. And so, what, what catches my attention here, of course, is, is the royalty distribution because uh, royalties have to get paid. And uh, a friend of mine, actually up here in Canada, is looking at, uh, at getting heavily into the royalty business. And guess what? Using blockchain to distribute those royalties. Uh, you you wrote a report here saying Spotify is doing just that. Uh, using blockchain to to distribute royalties. So is that, in fact, what they have now put into place? Because I've read a lot of music critics, uh, Bob Lefset specifically, saying that the artists have been getting ripped off and, um, you know, gone are the days where artists make a lot of money selling pieces of plastic. So do you think streaming is going to offset the revenue given up by plastic sales to artists? Yeah, that's a good point. So, and just to give you some background, um, the global recorded music market was in decline for over a decade. And music sales peaked just around 25 billion back in 2001 and did below 15 billion in 2014. Wow. So the music market, yes, exactly. The music market was effectively cut in half uh, over that period of time as consumers were increasingly shifting away from physical music sales and digital downloads. And then Spotify launched in 2008 in Europe. 
and uh, came to the U.S. in 2011. And uh, you, you're gonna have to pay royalties for that ringtone, by the way, that that, that we're hearing there. Hey, they get they get uh, royalties for that one. <laughs> Remember those ringtones that people used to buy on their phone? <laughs> what, are you, what are you buying that for? It's, you're paying for that. Do people still buy exactly. ringtones? But honestly, since just we're having fun, Maria, do people still buy ringtones and pay for them? Uh, I think so. But you're, think you're not, so. that's not part of your numbers anyway, so we'll, we'll, we'll carry that's on not. here. You know, you know what's amazing? Because 2001, you know when I switched careers from broadcast radio, and I used to work for a rock radio station, an alternative rock station, similar to K-Rock in L.A., uh, notorious station called CFNY. Um, I left that industry because I, I worked very closely with a lot of the record companies, a lot of the record labels, because uh, they wanted to sell their records, and so I sold them some advertising to promote their bands. But uh, I saw the, the CD burner coming into, into the equation, and, and it, it didn't really bother me too much. But the industry was so afraid of that CD burner. I kid you not. I once did an on-air promotion where we gave 10 away. And I had, I had a senior record, record executive come to me and say, well, please don't give away the CD burner. It's going to put us out of business. I said, are you kidding me? This burner is going to put you out of business? you got bigger problems in front of you, my good friend. Hey? Eh? And that was in 2001, so I left the business. Talk about market timing, by the way. I left that industry right at the peak of record sales. Again, I was in broadcast sales, but very, very similar. Uh, uh, I recall Napster in, in uh, university, same thing. Napster, uh, that's right. Yeah, it got put out of business, obviously, because it was doing it illegally. But uh, streaming has certainly disrupted the music industry, traditional music anyways. Um, and I think artists now are getting uh, a smaller piece, but of a, a bigger pie. Hey, Michael, you're on the line there. I want, I want me to pipe in here a little bit because you got a very, very big brain as well. But uh, also, just looking at your demographic, I'm not going to use the word age, your demographic. Uh, you and I have a similar demographic. I might be a little bit older than you, maybe not. But um, anyways, in terms of vinyl, Michael, uh, is it still relevant? Because Jack just bought himself a turntable. We went to Bay Blur Radio and bought himself a really cool turntable. And I gave him some records, and uh, he's having some fun with it. Uh, but his stereo bought off of his MP3 and, and Wi-Fi link up, so it, it's old meets new. Sounds very, very cool. But is vinyl... Final relevant, uh, Mike and Murray, and what, what, are you, what, what are you seeing in the numbers here? Or, or was that just a bit of a wave too fad? Yeah, it's interesting that you brought it up because if you look at the physical music sales, they've been declining in the double-digit range over the last uh, four or five years. Mm -hmm. But vinyl actually is one area that's been growing. And uh, I think one stat we highlighted in this report is that vinyl has been growing consistently over the past 10 years, and that's, that's really amazing. It's hard to beat the sound on the vinyl too, right? It's like the real sound. Oh, it's just warm, it's deep, it's nostalgic. But you have to have a few cracks. You need a few cracks. It can't be too pure. If you, it just makes it work better. Um, we're talking music. It's a, it's very dear to my heart. We have Maria Rips who put out a very, very detailed report on music sales. I passed it around to my industry folks who I know, and they were very impressed by your work, Maria. So uh, we're going to pay some bills around here, run a few commercials, and we're going to bring you back for another couple minutes just to wrap up the discussion on uh, streaming and uh, supporting music and content and the relevance of it all uh, on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, that's what happens when you let someone else pick your songs. Uh, Michael Graham uh, in New York City picked that song for us. It is what is it? Let the music play by Donald. I, I I couldn't get to the to the chorus. It would have taken too long. We would have given up our, our show here, Michael. <laughs> I had to do it, pal. Middle of the Yeah, no, it got the big X. You know, America's Got Talent. We gave it the big X. Uh, I'm kidding. It's obviously a great song, but no, I want to hear the. I want to speak to some brains here. Um, 
Global subscriber market share, Spotify, 40%. Apple Music, 22%. Other 16%. Tencent has 12%. This stock, by the way, Tencent in half from where it peaked. Um, But so again, it's a a two-horse race here. Uh, Pandora taken over, correct, Michael? Pandora no longer. It's now taken over by uh, uh, Sirius Satellite. Yeah, Maria called that one in her report too. But yeah, they. Uh, what, what happened there, Maria? Yeah, so uh, Pandora is now part of SiriusXM, so joining SiriusXM family. And 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 that be that. Is it, tell me something. Spotify are they making money? Uh, yeah, so uh, that leads, I guess, uh, uh, us to this whole royalty discussion, right? Yeah. Uh, Spotify is currently not making money. Uh, around 60 to 70 percent of every dollar that they generate on the subscription side is paid to labels. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you look at the structure of the industry from the uh, label standpoint, there are essentially three main labels, Sony Music, Warner, and uh, Universal. Yep. Uh, there is another entity called Merlin that represents independent artists, oh, and yeah. uh, collectively, this big three plus Merlin hold about 85% of the music market. Yeah. And uh, essentially what's been happening is that uh, revenues for the labels uh, were also declining, kind of in line with the overall market. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and uh, this growth in streaming uh, brought uh, growth for the labels, and uh, sort of revenues for the labels started to, uh, again, return to growth. And another interesting thing to highlight here is that uh, this new revenue stream, uh, streaming, uh, has much different uh, margin profile. And unlike physical music sales, which kind of involves manufacturing and packaging costs, distribution, Distribution, right? The slayer of expenses just doesn't exist. Returns. A lot of returns in that business, too. Crushing of the plastic. I, you know, it, 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 it was complicated. Uh, exactly. And uh, what we're seeing is that streaming not only uh, doesn't only benefit labels from their uh, top-line growth, but it also kind of supports profitability. Interesting. We're speaking with Maria Rips and Michael Graham. They're analysts with Canaccord, and they put out a very, very good report on the music industry and specifically the importance of streaming. Um, let's talk about the artists because it's amazing. The power once sat with the record companies. The music industry, the labels were king. Their partner was the, was the radio station. But who's king now? Is it Spotify or is it the artist? Uh, who holds the, the balance of power, do you believe? I mean, we, we see that you're definitely seeing a shift in, in power. You know, it's, it's, it's an oligopoly breaker, right? The streaming model, like the major labels are losing power. Uh, a lot of that power is going the way of the artists. You know, the artists now to make a record, you used to need a label, you used to need to you know, pay the radio stations for, for airtime. Um, you need Payola you're talking about, eh? You needed to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, uh, you just go in, you know, you open up your MacBook and you open up iTunes, you cut your track and you, you know, self-publish on Spotify or YouTube or wherever. That's cool stuff, guys. Uh, Michael Graham, Maria Rips uh, from Canaccord, uh, analyst who put out a great internet report on streaming music. And, well, the music industry uh, is back, and uh, I think that's a good thing. Uh, folks, that's it for Hi-Fi Radio. Jack, as always, a great job. Thank all our guests, and I want to wish you all a wonderful weekend. And Jack and I will be back next weekend on Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.